welcome to see everyone who's made it out tonight. Uh, glad to see the growth and things like that. And always glad to see Bible studies grow. And as I said, we're going to wait uh, and we're waiting to go online so we can stop and take a moment to commemorate and pray for those people who are in Texas and dealing with all, all the tragedies that are there. Also, for those of you, our families in our local church body that are dealing with sickness and, and for uh, the Evans family, Sister Mabel's family and uh, all of their family as well as Sister Messer, uh, we're praying for you. I'm saying that because I know she tells me she watches us every single week uh, and a lot of times we don't see the people who watch uh, we can see how many people watch but we don't see who actually watches and so we want to let you know that we love you and that we're praying for you if there's somebody else out there that needs a prayer request this is not just a broadcast this is a church this is a ministry outreach send us your prayer request we want to be able to pray for you so we're going to open today in prayer god we thank you we thank you for the opportunity to come to you in prayer what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. God, we intercede today on behalf of those who are hurting, who are sick, for those of us among our local fellowship, God, who need a healing. God, we ask that you manifest that healing for them according to your providence and according to your will. We thank you for that, God. Right now, we believe it, God. We, we believe according to your word, God. Um, we know that you do heal, and we ask that prayer, the prayer of faith, uh, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that healing will come to Sister Mabel Evans right now, that healing will come to Sister Dorothy Messer right now, that healing will come to Steve Wilson, God, in the name of Jesus, all those who need healing, that healing will come uh, to Archie McLaughlin in the name of Jesus, all those who are seeking healing that we pray for on a daily basis, and those that we haven't even mentioned, God, but you know, we ask that you touch them right now. Touch, Lord, how only you can touch. Heal like only you can heal. And Father, before we get started, Lord, we ask for comfort for those, Lord God. Your, your word says that you are close to the brokenhearted. And there are some brokenhearted people in Texas and in this nation. And God, right now, I pray that you heal those broken hearts. Lord God, across whatever time span and frame and in whichever way you choose to do it. But God, we pray for healing to come to them and closure and peace for those families who are dealing with tragedy. Lord God, we ask you to show yourself strong and mighty through the joy that you can bring in the midst of sorrow and the peace that you can bring in the midst of storm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. We are in the book of Genesis, chapter 26. Um, for those of you who are watching for the first time, if you don't have our Bible study notes, you're welcome to get them at www.encounter360.org. You can look right under the live stream, watch us live there if you like, and also to have the notes and the scriptures that are already pre-populated for you to be able to look. You can have church online, virtual church, just like we have church right here. For those of you who have chosen to do so, we want to welcome you in. All of those who come in every week with us and who may watch us at a later time, we're glad to have you. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Uh, we're going to start uh, right here. Abraham has gone to be 
with the Lord. And so we're going to look at some things in the book of Genesis, starting at Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to read uh, a little farther down. We're going to go Genesis chapter 1, 26, verse 1 through 7. Thank you for being on point with that, Elizabeth. I, I see you. She, she's ready in case, in case we need it. Thank you so much. Um, so let's read right now. Uh, let's go. Uh, ready? Read. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and it will be, I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. And I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees and my. Instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now, there are some notes here that are uh, inside of, uh, of here, and we see, and it says that we see uh, that like his father Abraham, Jacob wants to flee famine in Egypt. God has given them a promise where? In Canaan. He's given them a promise there, but famine hits, and he to Egypt but as he begins to do the things isn't it amazing how often our children can imitate us uh, as a matter of fact this topic is called like father like son we'll see a lot of things in Isaac that will remind you of Abraham and so we see that um, Abraham is gone and Isaac there's a famine in the land and what's the natural thing when there's a famine in the land uh, we see it all the time in uh, our, our nation uh, my daughter had a school project and it was called a migration project. In other words, she was asking each member of the family, where did you get here and why did you get here and what sent you here? Did you come for a job or were you forced to move this way? And some of you, especially people in Detroit, most people in Detroit are not natives of Detroit. As a matter of fact, I've come to find out that most people uh, from Detroit are from the where? South that people from the South looking for work and other opportunities and more freedom actually migrated from the South to the North in look of jobs. So it is natural for people when there is not an abundance of resources to naturally want to move to another what place. That's our first inclination. And sometimes I wrote this, that we're in a dry place, but we may move too quickly if we do not heed the voice of God. And what do I mean by that? That sometimes even though situations look like they aren't the best and most people are going to leave and go to other places to try to find a better solution, don't you know sometimes God is intending to bless you right in the middle of where you are? Right in the middle of a famine, God is intending to bless you. Isaac is getting ready to pick up and leave again, but God is wanting to bless him right where he is. He just has to hold on to the promise of God. How is that pertinent for our life today? Because sometimes we have a place where there's a famine on our job. 
and we don't feel fulfilled on our job or there's a there's a famine in our neighborhood or there's a famine in, in our church many times there's a famine in the neighborhood and what does the church do rather than be the church the church picks up and moves to the suburbs or to a nicer place because they're scared of all the things that will happen in, in the urban areas but the truth of the matter is but while they're trying to move to other urban areas, God is not wanting them to move because God can bless them right where they what are. Sometimes God leaves you in a situation because he wants to bless you at that situation. Some people can't figure out why they've been trying to get away from that job, but they can't seem to get away from that job. Could it be that God, you, you keep praying, God, everybody on my job is not saved. Everybody on my job is a sinner. Everybody cusses and every kind of thing I want to go because there's a famine in I feel depleted when I go to work but the truth of the matter is that maybe God doesn't want you God doesn't want you to 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 do that God God might want you to stay stationary God might want you in a place where he can use you and that's what we have to be able to do everybody say hear the voice of God I'm going to give you two other words. Everybody said divine direction. See, it's important for us to have divine direction because although nobody would fault somebody for moving from a place of lack into a place of plenty, sometimes what we can't see is what God plans in the future. So I wrote this. Sometimes we are in a dry place and we have to, we may move too quick if we do not heed the voice of God the better and bigger somewhere else is not always God's plan for you before making major decisions about major moves seek God first he may be planning to bless you in a dry season everybody said dry season Sometimes my spiritual father used to say that when your ways please God, there could be a famine in the land, but feast in your house. In other words, God doesn't need to change your geography to change your destiny. And a lot of us just feel like you hear that all the time, no matter where you go. If it's somebody that lives in the south, they say, I'm going up north. There's more opportunity up north. There's nothing here for me. And I was amazed when I got up here up north, I would listen to people saying, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going down south because there's no opportunity for me uh, down south. But might I submit to you that it is not your geography that makes the difference, but your trust in God Almighty. That God is ready to bless him in the middle of a famine. Some people get up and they leave their ministries too soon because they don't see their ministry producing what they quote unquote think it should produce. And before you know it, that ministry is booming and they realize, oh, I moved to what? Soon. For some people, thank you, Holy Spirit, there's a famine in their marriage and they leave their marriage too soon because there's difficulty in their marriage just to find out when somebody else gets that spouse you love and dresses them up a little bit. Now you want them back. You realize I left too what? Soon. If I'd have just stuck it out a little while longer and depended on God, maybe I would have had come to fruition what God had for me. So it's important for us to remember, number one, that God's promises are not based on what we see right now. The Bible says we walk by what? Faith and not by what? Sight. So that sounds crazy to most of us because nobody in here would close your eyes and start walking. Why wouldn't you do that? Because you're scared you're going to bump into something. 
You're scared you're going to make an error. You're going to be scared you're going to make uh, be hurt. There's a natural inclination to open your eyes so you can see what you're getting into. But sometimes you don't see with your physical eyes. You have to learn to see with your what? Spiritual eyes. And, and as God opened my eyes so I can see what you're doing. This whole uh, series is about the promised seed that God is promising a seed, which is Jesus, that is going to come down through the generations. God has blessed Abraham, and now he's going to bless Isaac. Isaac is going to be blessed, not because he's good, but simply because he was born into the line that is going to carry the promised seed. He doesn't have to change his demographic. He doesn't have to change his geography. God is going to bless him right where he is. So these are the three things we must remember. Number one says God's promises are not based on what we see right now. They are based on his providence and his timing. Does anybody know what the providence of God is or the sovereignty of God? Yes. Everybody say divine will. God, God has a divine will. There are some things that God is going to will. That are going to happen because the Bible says the Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he what pleases. That brings us back again to that discussion about free will versus the sovereignty of God. And once again, that's not a topic for discussion today, but we do know that God is provident and whatever he wills to happen is going to what happen. Somebody says, I can't figure that out. Well, if you could figure out God out, then you'd be God. <laughs> I wouldn't want a God that I could completely explain. I, I like a God that reveals to me what I need to know and will give me more and more of him. But if I know everything else there is to know about him, then he would cease to be what? God. He says, I, he says, the Lord is, the earth is mine and everything in it. He said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because he is God. Number two, that the obvious choice is not always the best choice. How is this practical in our life? Because if you're struggling and gas prices have gotten really, really high and you're not making ends meet on the job that you're on and you see another job making more money, what's the obvious choice? You're going to go to that other job. But what happens if you go to that job and you're miserable? Or you leave that job while you didn't realize that your supervisor had been paying attention to you and was about to bless you with a larger salary and a larger promotion. But you move quick because you took the obvious choice without consulting God through what? Prayer. What stops Isaac from going? God tells him, you don't need to go there. I am going to bless you right here and I'm going to increase your descendants which makes it very important that we need to depend and trust on God and make sure that we are hearing from who? God. Number three says, don't make a move and miss the move of God. Ooh, I say that again. Don't make a move and miss the move of God. And all of us have done that at one point in time. We thought we heard God on something and we moved on that. And, and it didn't work out quite how we wanted to because a lot of times we hear God saying, isn't it amazing how God's voice sounds like our voice sometimes? God, and, and sometimes the devil's voice sounds, sounds like, like telling us things we don't want to hear, but the truth is it's not the devil's voice, it's God's voice. Sometimes God is telling us no, but our flesh is telling us what? Yes, or our wants and our desires are telling us yes. I want this type of house. I want this type of car. I want this type of job. And those things in themselves are not bad, but what if that's not what God wants for you. 
What if God wants your life to be a life of service? What if God wants you to be a missionary? What if God wants you to do something else? It's important to make sure that we're listening to God. So don't make a move and miss the move of God. It's important to trust God for guidance when? Before you make your decision. When do we generally consult God? After. Not just after, but after and when. After things are bad, we generally try to make ourselves God and say, God, I got it from here until it doesn't go the way we want it and we can't force it. And finally, we, we kind of throw up our hands and say, okay, Lord, I, I need you to fix this. And I can imagine him looking, saying, really? <laughs> you ready to listen now? And sometimes that's how we are. We're humans. And sometimes we want what we want and we can get in the habit of trying to force God's hand. And some people get so bold as to try to make God say what they want to say. Somebody may come along and say, the Lord told me to divorce my husband. Nine times out of ten, that is not the truth. Because God hates what? Divorce. But because you want to divorce your husband, you transpose your voice to what? God's voice. The Lord is telling me to leave my wife. I'm not talking about in, in extreme cases. We won't get into all that tonight. But in most cases... Nine times out of ten, that's not the voice of the Lord. That's the voice of our conscience. That's the voice of what we want to what? Do. The, the Lord is telling me to leave my job because my boss is just mean to me. Could it be the Lord may be telling you to stay at your job because your boss needs to be saved? Mm. There's a lot packed right in these few verses, isn't it? How important it is to depend on what God says. So he stays in Gerar. Now let's see what happens when he obeys the voice of the Lord and doesn't go with um, his natural inclination. Let's start at Genesis chapter 26, verse 8. Genesis, um, no, chapter 7, uh, verse 7. We're going to start at verse 7. That's where we left off because I want you to see how, how uh, similar Isaac is to his father. Let's read. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Wow. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife, he thought. The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. That'd be weird if that was your sister. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. That next question says, and, and I, we're going to go down because we missed some in verse four. It says, we see that God's promises to Abraham are moving down to Isaac. Isn't it good to see that your obedience can be a blessing to your what? Children. <laughs> that our children, our decisions not only affect us, but they affect our what? Children. Will you be able to do the same? Will we be able to leave not just a financial legacy, which is good, 
but a godly legacy and an inheritance to our children, what will we give them that will last? Sometimes your parents, like my parents, my mom didn't have a lot of money to leave me, but what she left me in, in teaching and character and those things would, would help me. So even when I got off track, she trained me up while I was young. So when I got off track, I could find my way what? Back. So it's important for us to live the example. It, it's, it's too late when your kids get grown and you say, hey, I want you to come to church, but you never came to church. It's too, too much when you say, hey, I see you going down the wrong path. You need to be at church every Sunday. But when we raised them, we weren't at church every Sunday. We came when we got ready. They don't do what you say. They do what you what? Do. And how do I know this? Because we see Abraham, Isaac saying the exact same thing that who said? His father. The exact same thing. I was afraid that you were going to kill me, so I lied. So isn't it important, some of the things that we say behind closed doors that we think are no harm, our kids are listening to those things. Sometimes I have my daughter, my middle daughter, everybody thinks she's the quietest, but she is not the quietest at all. She's the most talkative at home. She's quiet outside. But isn't it amazing how I'll say something and she'll come back and say, remember when you said this? And I said, I wasn't talking to you. I was three. I was a... Uh, I, I was down down two floors, and she said, but you were loud enough, everybody could hear. And I said, you could choose to ignore what I said, but guess what? They're listening to you. They're watching your example. When you lose your temper and you just think it's okay because you're in a comfortable setting and church people aren't around to see you and judge you, you may think you have gotten away with it because nobody else says anything, but they are watching you and the behavior that you have is going to go down into them. Our children are our, are our mirrors. Oftentimes, if you got to the point where you can see your kids, if you see your kids fighting when the, with their spouse all the time, ask yourself, do we fight all the time? Our children are generally our what? Mirrors. So it's important that we watch how we behave because how we behave will affect what? Other people. And you'll say, I didn't raise you like that. Have anybody ever said that to your kid? I didn't raise you like that. But there should be a preposition at the end of that on purpose. Yes, you did raise them like that. Sometimes they just choose to go the other way. But many times we raise them like that because we had issues that we wouldn't do. We're going back to the baggage series again. We had issues that we didn't deal with and they showed up in our what? Children. So if you love your children, it's good that you want to work on what? You. I want to be the best version of myself I can be. Why? Because my children are going to emulate whoever I am. It does me no good to impress you here, but be horrible over there, across the way, across the compound. Why? Because they are my heritage. And whatever I do, they're probably going to what? Emulate. They not only, we see two good things. We see some good things he picked up from Abraham and also some what? Bad. They pick it up all. They're sponges. But what we need to do is make sure that we're living such a life that they pick up more good than they do what? Bad. It's impossible not for them not to pick up some things because we're in sinful flesh. But we should make that the exception and not the what? Norm. Amen? Is this helping anybody? Now, verse 7 through 11 says, we can be assured that not only the good we do, but the bad will affect our kids. Isaac seems to be displaying the same tendencies as his father, Abraham. Wow. 
Isn't that amazing how he did the same thing? And this is the craziest part, that after he told Abimelech that this was his wife, Abimelech didn't kill him. Abimelech protected him. Sometimes we convince ourselves to do unethical things because we feel like the truth would hurt too much. When the problem is that if we just told the truth, things would get what? Better. Sometimes we mess up, don't we? Sometimes we make mistakes. And what's our initial response to do? Just like Adam and Eve, we take fig leaves called lies and excuses and whitewashing and we cover it what? Up. But the best way to restore restoration is to just be what? Honest. Everybody say, I messed up. That's the first time somebody said that in 30 years, especially if you're married. That why? Because we don't like to say, I'm what? Sorry. We don't like to be honest and say, I what? Messed up. But if you just be honest and say, I messed up and I made a mistake and tell the truth up front, sometimes what we thought would be something detrimental to us ends up being a blessing. The same people he was lying, he was lying to at first. This king comes back and it's not the same Abimelech uh, as, his as the one that dealt with his father. But this king protects his life. And all he had to do was what? Tell the truth. I'm not saying that by telling the truth, sometimes you don't have to deal with tough consequences. But people will respect you more if you're just honest. Because they know they can trust you. That if you fall or you falter or you have insecurity, that I can trust you to be what? honest with me that nobody's perfect you know why people can be honest can deal with you like that because truth be told they all know we have issues what too so the best way is always the what true now we're going to go down to verse 12 because we want to see something because this goes right to what us thinking about when isaac stayed put where god told him to what stay put so let's go down verse 12 let's read Isaac planted crops in the land and that same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What's in the land? What do we, what do we, what's there? What did we just say was in the land? Famines in that region. These three cities that we're reasoning about are right close together. So if there's famine in the region, there's no water, there's no crops, there's no produce. But somehow, God blesses it, and he ends up getting a bumper crop. Isn't that amazing? That if you trust God, God can give you feast in the middle of famine. If you just live according to his purpose for your life. He says, look, I know you want to go down to Egypt, but don't go down to Egypt. Why? Because Egypt's about your purpose, but Canaan is about mine. And if you'll line up with what I want you to line up with, if you'll stay where I tell you to stay, and so I, because I'm, I'm going to bless like I told you I was going to bless your father Abraham, it's coming down through you. If you'll just stay put where I told you, I'll bless you. Somebody say, stay still. Stay still. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? That we look at that the Lord had blessed in verse 13. Let's see what happened. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. Everybody said there's a hater everywhere. There's a hater everywhere. Let's, let, let's read verse 15. Let's read it together. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, 
the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Come on, man. Do you really have to be that miserable that you can't stand to see somebody else make it? Let's keep going. Verse 16. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, for you have become too what? Powerful for us. The blessing was on his life so much that people started to hate him. Because nobody likes to see you do well when they're doing bad. Jealousy is a very dangerous thing. It will drive us to dangerous behaviors. Nobody wants you to get brand new tires on your car when you when they ride around in May Pops. I don't know if y'all know what May Pops are, but down south we call them May Pops. That means they may pop at any time. Those tires, uh, uh, <laughs> when when your tires are real, real, real busted up. Nobody wants to see you riding around or having a real nice house when they have yet to get their first house. Now, some people do, but many people don't. People can't stand to see other people blessed. And I need to tell you that if the blessing of God is on your life, don't expect everybody to be your what? Friend. As a matter of fact, some people are just trying to get close enough to you to get information on you to take you what? Down. Because they're jealous. They'll smile at everybody else, but they have you in their crosshairs. And what's amazing about this is that they don't have water systems like we have. They don't have major uh, water systems or aqueducts yet. Those haven't come. So wells are the center of life. You can't live in the desert in the wilderness without water. So these wells are the center where everybody comes to get water to live. And they fill them up with dirt, which means they're basically saying, I hope you die. It's what we call today canceling. We don't like somebody, so we try to make them lose their job and their livelihood so they can eat and they can't do other things. This is a vicious behavior that they are doing. His father dug these wells. They weren't their wells. His father dug these wells, and they took the time to go dig up more dirt so they could get it filled. You know how much dirt you have to dig to put down to fill up a well? They took the time to fill up his wells so he couldn't get anything. Be careful of who you have around you. Everybody that's in your circle is not in your corner. I always remember that. If you don't remember anything else, everybody, you need to have wisdom and discernment because everybody in your circle isn't in your corner. I, I often tell my kids, if you're outside and you're with your friends and you, you go out someplace, and I know every parent has said this, if you have a drink sitting down there and it's open and you walk to the bathroom you come back, don't drink that drink. Why? Because everybody in your circle is not in your what? corner. They may say you're smart. They may say you're pretty. They may say you're nice, but secretly they're jealous and they will do dangerous things to you because of how insecure they feel. And when they're not getting what they want, they will instantly try to tear you what? Down. This is vicious behavior. So finally, Abimelech says, let me be honest with you. You've gotten too powerful. You have too much money. Do we see that in our culture today? where our culture is always envious of those who have and want to take more from those who have to give to those who have not. We don't see that in our culture today, do we? Where people work and earn stuff, but because they may have a little bit more than somebody else, 
everybody else feels like they have a right to it. You have more stuff, therefore you should give yourself stuff to me. You started the company and now you work with your company and now your company is big and your company makes all this money. How dare you make all this money and I don't make that much money. You should be getting that much profit. You should give some of more of that to what? Me. Well, why don't you start with your own company? I don't want to do that. I just want to take what you've worked for. And if I can't, I'll find a way to tear down what you work for. You see how those things still sit in human nature today? It's a dangerous thing to be envious of the success of other people. And as a matter of fact, it is an affront to God because if I'm jealous of what God is doing for you, that means I have limited God and his capacity for what he can do for me. What I am literally saying is I'm mad about what God is doing for you because I don't believe he'll do it for what? Me. If I believe God will bless me with, with a house or whatever the case may be, not to be too materialistic, but if he'll, if he'll bless me, why am I worried about what he'll do for you? I used to tell people all the time, don't be envious when somebody gets a new car. When you get your new car, their car will be old. And at the end of the day, it's just a hunk of metal. Envy can be a dangerous thing. So uh, verse 12 through 16, that question says that the blessing of God on Isaac's life intimidated those around him. Let us not be surprised when people are jealous. To stop a well was essentially cutting off a life-giving element. They were willing to kill this man or to make him suffer because they were jealous because they weren't blessed and he was. Or because God was moving in his life and he and they he wasn't moving what in theirs. Mm. But let's read and see what happened. Let's pull up the next scripture. This is amazing because this is where if we had had Sunday morning we might all just stop, drop everything, and start shouting, shouting. But we're not gonna do that tonight. Well, I say that we may. Let's go to verse seventeen. Verse 20, chapter 26, verse 17 says, what? So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. Haters. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those and said, the water is ours. And so he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. They dug another well, but they quarreled over that one. So he called it Sitnah. Wait a minute. He's doing all the work, but they are trying to claim all the spoils. We don't live in a culture like that, do we? A culture of people that feels entitled to everything, that wants everything but won't work for anything. I'm not trying to be messy. I'm just being honest. Do can you see those things in culture, where everybody that thinks they deserve everything that you work for? So this isn't a new thing. This is human what nature, sinful nature to want what other people have that's why many wealthy people are very quiet about their wealth because they want friends and when people know you're doing good guess what you have no friends so let's see 
how this plays out. This is interesting, isn't it? Let's look at verse 20. We're going to start at verse, well, verse 22. Thank you, media team. Verse 22, what did it say? He moved from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Wow. Now, Rehoboth means open space, which means that God is opening up or expanding right there. Do you see something? That although his haters keep trying, no matter what they do, he's still what? He's still what? Yes. That comes to the next question at verse 18 through 23 that says, regardless of opposition, God will complete his purpose. See, Isaac is in the plan of God. God needs Isaac. He doesn't need him, but he decided to use Isaac through this line. He's already preordained this. So Isaac is going to have the promised seed, and God is not going to go back on his what? Promise. God is not a man that he should what? Lie. Nor the son of man that he should what? Change his mind. If he said it, will he not do it? The safest place that you can ever be is in the will of God. If you are in the will of God, there you will find the streams of provision. So if you're in the will of God, there you will find the springs of protection. That does not mean that you will not be persecuted. That does not mean that tough things won't happen in your life. That does not mean that you won't get any bumps or break, uh, scrapes or bruises. Because as you see, Isaac keep having to deal with conflict. He digs a well. They fill up the well. He leaves and goes somewhere else, digs up his father's old wells, which he has a right to. His daddy worked for this. But as soon as his daddy left, they couldn't stand it, and they filled up the well. So that means they were probably jealous of Abraham, too. I couldn't stand your daddy. Now I can't stand you either. I had to work coming up and script for all I get, and here you are, a little rich boy. And you getting handed everything you gave me. I don't want you to have nothing. Do you see any of that floating around in our culture? We shouldn't be jealous of other people. We shouldn't covet what other people have. We should be happy for people and have a joyful heart. Because whatever God has for us is for what? Us. And where we should be seeking to go is inside the will and the purpose of God. When you're in the will and purpose of God, guess what? You may never have a million dollars. You may never have 300000 You may never know what it looks like to have $100,000 in the bank. You may never know that. You might not even know what it feels like to have 10000 in the bank. But if you are in the will of God, guess what? That is the perfect place to be. Now, some of us... That it might be God's will for us to have more, but we're not flowing in the will of God. That might not be for everybody. God doesn't, I don't believe that God wants everybody rich. He doesn't, he doesn't make everybody rich, but that doesn't mean he wants everybody poor either. He gives as he will, and he's sovereign, and he ordains. Because some people who might not have a lot, he might give the ability to pray. But when some when there's a need in the church, you need everybody. I don't when when somebody's sick in the church, I don't care if you have a million dollars in the bank. I just need to know: can you get a prayer through? But if we have a financial need in the church, everybody can be poor. We can pray for somebody to walk through the door. But it would be nice if somebody could, even without sneezing, say, "Here you go." have the gift to give and see how all that works together 
that rich shouldn't despise poor, portion despise rich, that those things have nothing to do with our relationship with God, but God decides to bless those who he will to do his work. That there should be no jealousy among the body. There should be no jealousy of us or what other people have. That we should be thankful for what God has blessed us with. And we see that every time they try to stop Isaac, that God blesses him more. And now he gets to the place of, of called Rehoboth, which is the place of open space that God is getting ready to expand some things. Everybody say, get ready to expand. God has given us room. He's given us room. It means open space, he says, and he named it Rehoboth. Everybody say Rehoboth. Saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. In other words, God, we, we couldn't flourish how we needed to right here at the moment. You wanted us there for a second, but as we begin to be blessed, sometimes those haters got in the way. So you have extracted us from among our haters and put us in a place where we can flourish. There are some people who have an extraordinary gift that God has given them to be able to bless the body of Christ, but it has not flourished because they're in a place full of haters. They can see your gift. They can see just how gifted you are. But if God raises you here and they're there, they don't want that. So they'll do their best to keep you. They can see that you have a gift for expounding or teaching or preaching or evangelism or whatever the case may be or for music. But if this is their purse, they don't want you on it. So they what? push you down. But I've come to tell you that no matter how much they push you down, if God has a plan for your life, they can push all they want. And you'll be just like that little that, that little thing my daughter used to have. My daughter, we had this thing. It was a little uh, blow-up thing. And you blow it. And the funny thing is that you can hit it as hard as you wanted to. But every time you knock it down, it bounces right back up again. When God has his plan and his hands on your life, it does not matter who tries to hold you down. You're going to bounce back every time. Everybody say bounce back. Stop worrying about people hating on you. People are going to like you whether, whether they know things about you or not. They can know the truth, but people hate you on speculation. They hate you based off of what other people say. And other people don't even really know you. You have to stop worrying about who likes you and who does not like you. That distracts your focus. You need to focus on what God is doing in your life. You know, so-and-so said you did that. That's great, but God put a book in my heart, and I don't have time to think about that. I got to start getting my manuscript together and getting my outline together. You know, God, God, they, you know, they said you used to do this. Yeah, I did. I'll go ahead and tell the truth. I did, but I don't have time to talk about that because I got a business plan that I got to write and I got things to do. I don't have time to come down and be bothered with, with, with that. You know, they say that you didn't used to have anything. You know what? They absolutely right. But I got a ministry to plan and I got praying and things to do. You've got to be like Nehemiah. See, when, when they began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, Sanballat and Tobiah, they came out and they did not like that. They only liked Jerusalem because Jerusalem used to be strong. So they only liked Jerusalem when Jerusalem was weak. Do you not know there are some people that are hanging on to you, not for a symbiotic relationship, but they are there for a parasitic relationship and their design from the enemy is to keep you 
weak. They like to see you weak. They don't want to see you succeed. They like to see your defenses and your gates torn down. And they're your friend until you start building up your gates. As long as they had your ear, they were your friend. Every time they could tell you something negative about yourself. But now you say, I don't want to hear that. I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Now, now you think you too much. As long as they, they, didn't, they couldn't make it and they thought you couldn't make it. And y'all were po-mouthing together and saying that we'll never have anything and we'll never be anything. Y'all were friends at the water cooler. As soon as you could pass this one a beer and that one a beer, and we all drank together. But when you say I don't drink anymore, and I'm I'm, I'm getting in rehab and I'm getting my life together and I'm getting a business plan and I'm starting a business for myself, you start building up those walls, and all of a sudden it's time for them to kill you, to kill your character, to assassinate your dreams, to assassinate your promise because they don't want to see you rise. Because they are small. But God is placing you in a place of Rehoboth. A place of open space. He's giving you room to flourish. You may not have it right now, but at some point in your life, whatever God has for you, you don't have to look for the sky to fall and for something big and gigantic. But whatever it is, God's going to open that thing up for you. And I like what Nehemiah says. See, Sam Ballard and Tobiah, this is in tonight's lesson, but when Nehemiah was building the wall, they kept trying to trap him. They were trying to Say, hey, come over here. We want to talk to you. What they were really trying to do is get him off by himself so they could kill him so he couldn't complete his work. <laughs> and I love what he says. And I preached a whole sermon series on that. He writes them back and says, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down to be bothered for you. And so I made a sermon series about five or six years ago and I and I just put it in my words. I, I willy buried it. And I said, I ain't got time for that. Everybody said, I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. I need you to come over here. I know you said you were going to the gym to get him back in shape, but I need to talk to you about my broken relationships. Well, I've been talking to your broken relationships for 15 years, and you're not changing. You keep doing the same stuff. You're not listening. I ain't got time for that. They make counselors for that. Go find a counselor for that that's, that's, that's there to help you with those problems. I cannot stop doing what God has called me to do just because you don't want to do what God has called you to do. You want to stay broken and don't want to see me heal because misery loves company. You got to be careful of the people <clears throat> that you let in your space. They don't want to see you heal because they broke. And they don't want to take the time to let the spirit work on them and to get in the word and to listen to wise counsel and do the hard work of changing their life. So to make them feel better about themselves, every time you try to get up, they try to tell you. You may try, God may put on your heart to start a ministry and you start and there's nothing but you. I don't know who's listening to me that needs to hear this. There may not be anybody, but you and your family and they start saying, well, ain't nobody following you. You ain't got but two or three people following you. That, that's not really a church. They start with all that negative stuff because they too scared to step out on faith and do it themselves. So they try to discourage you. But what you need to do when you hear people come to you with that foolishness, everybody say, I ain't got time for that. Somebody put that in the chat. Somebody needs that. That blesses me. I learned how to be successful in life spiritually and how to be successful in life in, in, in just normal everyday living. You know how? Focus. The power of focus. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind.
Focus on those things that are godly to, to help you in your spiritual walk. And sometimes we can't grow godly because there are people in our circle that keep dragging us down. And God has to move us from Gerar to, go, to Rehoboth. Why? Because they're not in Rehoboth. He put me in a place where they were not anymore. He separated me from that. But you know the problem I have with some people? That God moved some people to Rehoboth, but they still keep flirting with Gerar. You know they don't mean you any good. Why are you still talking to them? You know every time they talk to you, they say something nice, but they got to slide in something negative too to keep you in your place so you don't get too high-minded. God blesses you and starts changing your life, and this is not a prosperity message. This is just a true message. You can, you can be, God blesses you with something. God blesses you with, who, who cares what it is? Something like a house or a car or something nice. And the first thing that come out their mouth, now you know you need to stay humble. As if a house wouldn't keep you humble. If you weren't humble already, you're not going to be humble what? Now. Could it be that you got it because you were humble? Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the what? Somebody, I can't say everybody. I'm not one of those people that just does blanket statements because what's for one won't be for everybody. But somebody that's listening to me, your Rehoboth is on the way. God's going to open up some things for you, but it's going to cause you to stay put where God wants you to stay put until you hear his voice. And when it's time to move, you're going to follow the voice of God and you're going to move. And when you move, don't worry about it when people throw salt on your grave. I don't know why this story came to my mind, but there was a, a story of a man who had a goat. <laughs> and that goat fell into a well. And the man decided to bury the goat, put him out of his misery. And he kept throwing dirt on top of the goat. But he kept hearing bad, bad. So he kept dumping more and more dirt on the goat. And he kept going, and after a while, after about a day, he noticed that he started to he see the horns of the goat. What he didn't realize is that every time he threw dirt on top of the goat, the goat would shake it off and pack it up under his feet. Sometimes you got to be able, when people throw dirt and salt on your name, instead of being bitter, you got to learn to what? Shake it off and use it as a stepping stone. Don't let it stay on you. Don't let their words weigh you down. Don't let their negativity weigh you down. Shake that stuff out and use it as motivation, as fuel to live the life God has called you to live. Because of all the abuses today, I always have to give the caveat that it's not just about having cars and, and having houses and having land. But what I want you to hear is if God has a purpose for your life, spiritually or whatever it is, when you face opposition, learn how to shake it off and keep moving. Let them think. Everybody said, let them think what they want to think. Let them say what they want to say. It's not my business what you think about me. It's not my business at all. 
But what I don't have to do is let whatever you think about me get on the inside of my mind and affect me. You think that over there. I don't have to call you up and find out what you got to say. Matter of fact, they got two wonderful things on Facebook. One's called unfollow and one's called block. <laughs> And that will bless your life. If you can't stand to see me blessed, I'd hate to offend you. Let me help you out. If you can't stand God's moving in my life and, and beyond all the struggles, you and see, that's what people don't know. They don't see the struggles that you have. They don't see you when you were here. They just see, see you when you're here. And they're mad at you when you were here, but they don't realize you started where they were. The only thing that was different was God's will for your life and their attitude sometimes. And so what you got to do is you have to learn to separate yourself from those people. Rehoboth is on the way. Let's finish this last part because I'm, I'm out of time. I'm almost out of time. Let's go right here because I want you to see some things. Go ahead and pull up the rest of the screen, guys. Is this helping anybody? Verse 23 says, from there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. That's why he's blessed. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Hmm. Will your kids be saved for the sake of you? Will your kids be blessed? Will God have a blessing on your kids for, for how godly a life you live? There's a story of a, of a famous a famous Christian. I can't think of his name right now, but they, they took him and one other contemporary in his time, and, and, and they looked at their descendants, and, and one of them lived a very godly life, and they looked down through his descendants. Years later, he had senators and vice presidents and all sorts of people in his life, and, and on the other side of that line, that man that was his contemporary that didn't live the very good life, uh, he had convicts and murderers and rapists and all those things. Why? Because your children are a reflection of you. If your heart is wicked, your generations just get what? Wicked. Am I living a life where God will bless my descendants because of me? Now, I like this because this is important. Because this is what's important for men. We are the priests of our home. Verse 25 says, Isaac, what? Built an altar there and call on the name of the Lord. Everybody say he went to church. What do we keep seeing every time we turn around? Noah gets off the ark and he what? Builds an altar. He goes to church. Something else happens for Noah. He what? Builds an altar. Abraham, God moves in his life. He what? Builds an altar. That's so much different from our generations today. God was moving because they had church going men. It's important for us. As men especially to worship. I can't stay there too long. We got to keep moving. I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time, but let's, let's keep going. He built an altar there, and there he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Verse 26. Let's read that. Starting at verse 26, 25, and 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked him, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said there ought to be sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you. 
Well, when we kept trying to knock you down and you kept getting back up, we saw God working in your life and we figured that we could thwart the plan of God in your life. So if you can't beat him, Isaac's a better man than me. Because the next thing they be saying, hello, hello, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Sometimes you got to have the gift of goodbye. <laughs> no, don't be petty. If, we, if God opens up a door to build a bridge, build that bridge. And don't blow. Just, just do what Isaac did. Let's follow example. Follow Isaac's example. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 29, it says, that you will do us no harm just as we did not harm you. Wait a minute. They tried to try to make him die of thirst. They filled up his wells. Isn't it amazing how their story is changing? Didn't you notice he said, you see how you treated me? You did this to me. And they said, oh, we didn't do anything bad to you. Isn't that amazing how all of a sudden oppressors and aggressors can become the victim and pretend like they didn't do anything what? Wrong. That was yesterday. Don't live in the past. <laughs> he says, just as we, verse 29, let's start at just. Just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. Is that the truth? Wow. We tried to stop you from making it, but I see, see you're rich now, so I might be able to use you later to get a few dollars if I'm, I'm in a bad shape. So can we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Somebody will get that in a second. No, <laughs> because of what you did to me earlier. <laughs> That's why we can't be friends. Yeah, they're trying to make it look like they're trying to help him. And for those who are super saved, I'm sorry. Somebody caught that. And let's, let's keep on going. Uh, verse 12. Um, Just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. They didn't send him away peacefully. He had to leave because they did an act of war. They cut off his wells. Verse 30. Isaac then made a feast for them. Oh, this is, this is, wow. For them. For his enemy. Who Jesus. He prepared the table for me now in the presence of my enemies. And they ate and drank, which they bold, because if I treated somebody like that, I probably wouldn't eat anything. They served me, but they ate and drank. Verse 31, let's read that. We're almost finished. Early in the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Shabbat. And to this day, the name of the town is named Beersheba. So isn't it amazing that he found water right after he made peace with them? The Bible, oftentimes we misread the scripture. We often say, if you got an alt against your brother, uh, leave, leave your gift at the altar. If you're mad, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. That's not what the word says. The Bible says if your brother has an alt against you. If they got a problem with you. If you can restore the relationship or resolve the issue, live at peaceably with all men at all times. Isaac takes the high road. See, when you're blessed, you can take the high road. When you know God's got his hand on your life, you don't have to get down in the dirt with people. You don't have to get down nasty with people. You don't have to repay evil for evil. The Bible says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. 
The best way you can get back at an enemy is to bless his enemy. The Bible says that you will heap burning coals over their head. What does that mean? It does not literally mean you're going to put coals on that, so don't look for them to start smoking. What it means is that that's a, that's a colloquialism. It means that you will put conviction on them because they lying. They know how they treated him. And now after they come back groveling to this man, rather than him keep throwing it in his face, he blesses them. Does that sound familiar? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. For great is your what? Reward in heaven. After he forgave them and sent them on their way, we're going to start next week at verse 34 because it goes into Jacob and Esau's blessing. God opened up a new well for him. Could it be that some of us haven't received what God has for us? Because some people have done us wrong and we've yet to forgive them. That doesn't mean you have to be their best friend. That doesn't mean you have to hang out with them every day. But it does mean that you need to release him or release them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You bless your enemies. You bless and do not curse. You know why they used to put mirrors up in like the 80s, early 90s behind behind people in the stores? Why? One was to watch and make sure you're not shoplifting. But the main reason is psychologically, people were less likely to act a fool if they could see themselves. If they could look at themselves... They were and see how they were acting. They were less likely to cuss out the waiter or cuss out the attendant or say something crazy because there was a mirror showing them themselves. When we get down in the dirt with people, they don't see anything different. That's not a mirror. We have to hold a mirror is something different from the image that is going into it that can shine back to them. So we have to hold up the mirror of Christ, which means when they do bad to us, we do good to them. Bless and do not curse. And it's painful to do that sometimes. Sometimes it hurts to pray for people that have done you wrong. Sometimes it's painful to pray for people that you know have been talking about you. Sometimes it's painful to pray for people that you know that can hate you and will cut your throat if they had the chance. Sometimes it's painful to pray for people that try to cut your throat, literally or figuratively, and they did not uh, they did not succeed, and they have to look at those people in the face and say, God bless you. You're probably not going to mean it for the first time, I tell you from experience. But if you keep doing it, after a while, you'll find the freeness in your heart. You'll find Rehoboth, a place where God can bless you and your spirit is free and you're not bound by hatred. Is the spirit speaking to anybody tonight? I feel like he is tonight. He does every week, but I feel like the spirit of God is really resonating in our hearts right now, sitting in a lot of seats. If 
you cannot forgive others their sins. Neither will your heavenly father forgive you. I can tell you from a personal experience, the most freeing thing you can do is pray for the good of people that you know have tried to harm you. Especially for those who do it and do it like these people. And they try to pretend like they were good and they were doing it for a good reason, knowing in their heart that they they had evil intentions. But you can let it go and you can say, you know what? God bless them anyway. I pray for long life and I pray that you you touch their heart so they'll be on fire for you. That's when you know you're free. You're not free when you're still taking Tom's in Milano. And every now and then when you're driving down the street, if you see him walking on the side, you're hoping they'll step in the middle of the street so you can pretend that you didn't see him. You're not free then. If you can't say amen. Oh, wow. Everybody said house. I'm never going to get on your bad side. <laughs> Please don't run me over. But God wants you free. Any questions, any comments before we finish? Put it see godliness or do they see get back I'm going to say that again do your enemies see godliness or do they see get back do they see God and forgiveness or do they see you getting back at them for what they've done Jesus did you have a question or a comment